Peter Schwitzer? Oh, yeah, it's the guy I listened to when I made my first billion. He's one clever son of a... Five, four... We're online. The hottest internet station. It's time for The Switzer Show with the guy who makes getting richer easier than running up a credit card bill, Peter Switzer. And hello and welcome to The Switzer Show. I'm Peter Switzer. I'm joined by my colleague, Paul Rickard. Hi, Paul. Look, hi, Peter. Just thinking about that intro. Um, look, we talk about helping people make money, but President Trump, I mean, what's he doing? I mean, he's just getting so hard to read and some of the statements and the tweets and yeah, the inconsistencies I, I, coming out of the White House. He's making your job, Peter, with so much more if you can get it right. Yeah, exactly right. And a lot of people would like me to be right, and I would like to be right, even if only for money reasons. But certainly at the moment, um, it's really strange. It's hard to get the White House, namely Donald Trump, consistently on message. And apparently the story that really fascinated me this weekend, which I'm going to talk to uh, our next guest about Nick Griffin, who's head of investments at Munro Partners. I'm going to ask him about, you know, does Donald seriously think he's not having any effect on Wall Street? He's asking his advisors and they're kind of responding like the emperor's new clothes. Oh, no, sir, you're, you're totally having no effect on Wall Street. Well, one, one of the advisors, of course, was interviewed last week, one of the former advisors, Peter, and said that, he doesn't read. So. <laughs> but he, he apparently watches the business channel. We're watching the Dow Jones fall and he's blaming poor old Jerome Powell from the uh, the Fed. Anyway, so Nick Nick um, Griffin's coming up next and then after that we had David Agaris, who's Director of Economics at NAB. And then we'll just talk about the BHP share buy at the end, Peter, yep. that uh, closes Two this week. Ago. Yep, lots of questions from... Uh, Listeners about uh, whether to accept or not accept, mm. so we should just run through that. Okay. Without any further ado, let's welcome Nick Griffin, Head of Investments at Munro Partners. Nick, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Peter. Good to now, be here. Yeah, Nick, uh, I know you're a guy who invests widely, um, not just in Australia, and I think when we had that wonderful dinner in London about three years ago, you were or you had been in FANG stocks or you were in FANG stocks and you, you liked Asian companies. Has that love of those kind of high-powered, successful companies made life hard for you in recent times or did you brilliantly get out of them before Donald Trump scared the pants off high-tech companies? Uh, yeah, so yeah. So from our point of view, a bit of both. So look, we, we still like... We, we, we invest in global structural changes. So we think earnings growth starts drive stock prices. I generally think if a company makes more money every year, I generally find its share price goes up. Um, and so we unashamedly believe that the FANG stocks will have consistent earnings growth in the years ahead. Yeah. Uh, we also think that the tech space, I don't think you need to be Einstein to work out that tech is where a lot of the structural changes are occurring in the world today. So there will be winners out of that space. Mm. Um, and so we are still invested there. We did raise quite a lot of cash in October, roughly 50% of the fund we put into cash quite early in October. Um, but the other 50% has still stayed true, true to our core beliefs. And yes, that, those stocks haven't done as well mm. uh, through this last two months because they are higher multiple and 
and had performed a lot better. Um, some of them were up nearly 100% for the year, so it's not surprising to see them Nick, suffer from profit-taking. If we could have had the most perfect US presidential experience, namely maybe the tax cuts that uh, Trump introduced and some of the deregulation, but you didn't get the trade war and the, the kind of anxiety that it's added to Wall Street, do you think we our index and indexes right around the world would be as low as it is today? Um, I think to a certain extent some of this would have happened anyway um, because of what the Fed's been doing. Um, so generally, as you tighten, market multiple comes down, yeah. uh, and that's what's happened in the US. It started at 18 times earnings, and it's probably going to finish the year at 15 times forward earnings yeah. um, as interest rates go up. And I think the Fed has probably misjudged the growth outlook and committed to a tightening path that they probably don't want to do anymore. Um, so that would have happened anyway. The trade stuff has, has added some uncertainty, definitely to certain sectors, particularly autos, semiconductors, and, and to a lesser extent industrials. But, um, but I think it's definitely the two of them together that are causing the problems, not just the one. And Nick, when we look at the local market and we look at, for example, some of the materials producers, it seems like the trade war not really having a big impact on the BHP in Rio's and perhaps the outlook for hard commodities. Do you have a, a view on where that might head? Yeah, we're a little surprised by that, to be honest. Um, I do think, I mean, obviously, resources are late cycle, um, so they generally do quite well late cycle. Um, but ultimately, China's growth is slowing, and I think that's the thing that a lot of people in the Northern Hemisphere have missed. Um, here in Australia, we've been able to see it. Um, and anybody who visits the region can see it, but, but the Fed was clearly not watching that closely. Um, and clearly Donald Trump wasn't watching that closely. And I think people have underestimated how much the tariff effects have really hurt the Chinese economy. And maybe it was hurting anyway, but um, it is appreciably slowing everywhere we look uh, in every single data point that comes in and has been for the best part of six months. Yeah, and, and I think the US market really woke up to it two months ago. And today, Nick, we got trade figures and uh, exports for China were supposed to be up 10%, but they're up 5.4%. So that's part of the reason why our market's down today, because the miners have copped it, haven't they? Yeah, and obviously you've got the, the, the regulatory issues with the, with the financial sector. Hmm. Um, but ultimately, yeah, our biggest neighbour is, is, is definitely the, the, the struggling stall in, in global growth at the moment. Um, yeah. And so that, that can't be great for Australia. All right, Nick, it's one thing to look in the rear vision mirror and, and to point fingers at people like Donald Trump and Jerome Powell at the Fed and all those sorts of things. But, you know, it's only valuable talking to someone like you if you can tell us what's going to happen in the future, apart from the fact that you're yeah. a, a very decent human being. So what do you think's lying ahead for stocks and investors and fund managers like you? Yeah, so let, I'll do the trade stuff straight off the bat and then we'll talk about the Fed because I think that's more important. Um, okay. So the trade stuff, I mean, the 90 days ceasefire, is, it's, sort of, it's good in concept, but the reality is it just creates another 90 days of uncertainty. Um, so that's not really going to help the market here, I don't think. Um, and then beyond that, I'd also point out that if, if, even if they do come to a resolution, the damage is sort of done. Um, Huawei has been kicked out of Australia, New Zealand, Japan, uh, the UK, Canada, um, and 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 we do suspect that we're moving into a world where we focus much more around our national champions. So in the US, they focus on things like Qualcomm, 
uh, and they're 5G companies and, and we're pushing the Chinese ones out. And so that damage is done. I can't see how that gets fixed, uh, even if we solve the tariff disputes. Um, so that's going to equal slower growth next year and that's going to equal slower earnings growth next year. And I think most people have got their head around that. Uh, so then the next thing you have to work out is the multiple. So how low can the multiple on the market go down? And so here I'm talking about the forward PE multiple of the market. Mm. So what price will we pay for that slower earnings growth? And there, as I mentioned earlier, it's gone from 18 times to roughly 15 times. If you go back to the financial crisis and others, it can actually go to 12 or 10, um, which, is, which, is, which would be bad. Um, and really the one person who can save that is the Fed. Um, the Fed can stop hiking rates. Mm. Um, the central banks around the world can realise that they've tightened too far. And I know it's damning to say that we've got interest rates are too high at 225. Uh, but that, that appears to be the case. Um, and they've set themselves on a course that allows them not to adjust quickly. So they need to be able to walk that back quite quickly. Uh, we may get that on December the 19th when they're meant to hike again. Uh, and then they say, we'll hike and pause. Um, and the reason why I talk about this, because if you know that the central banks have your back to a certain extent with interest rates, then we can look, we as investors can look through the valley um, and talk about things like a soft landing or talk about things like a soft landing and we can then buy for when earnings growth are going to re-accelerate in the second half of next year. Uh, if the Fed can't do that, then earnings will keep going down and the multiple might keep going down and we could be in this period for a while. Um, and lastly, and the reason why I say that is because we just don't see how the trade stuff gets solved very quickly. Mm. And Nick, what does that mean for the major tech companies? I mean, uh, clearly, if, if the trade thing can't be solved, uh, it's, it's got to be bad for uh, the, the big US tech companies in the long term, doesn't it? Well, not necessarily, though, because so, so from, a, from a trade point of view, if, if the US does win um, and ultimately get China to roll over, then, then Google's not in China. So they would get into China. Um, Visa's not in China. Visa would get into China. Um, Amazon's not in China. Amazon would get into China. Microsoft would get into China. All these companies currently have virtually no business there at all. That's, that's the issue. Um, but vice versa, the Chinese multinationals are in the US, they're in all these countries, whether it's Huawei and others. And so ultimately, that's the issue. Um, so it's a, it is a free option to the upside for the big tech companies in, but, in our but, point of view. But Nick, given what you said then, you, you instantly got me excited. If all those companies get in, you kind of think the S&P 500 has to head up and, it, and it's a great role model for the rest of the world. It should be a good thing for stocks if the trade war it, it, it gets, gets... It should be. Yeah. Yeah, it should be. But as I said, I, I just don't see how that can solve quickly. So I'd be very surprised if that happened, but mm. it would be a free option, we would say, to the upside for those stocks. Mm. Um, because they're not there already. Um, and so if you look at a company like Visa, for instance, which I think we all know and like, uh, benefiting from tap-and-go payments, 15% earnings growth per annum, pretty much locked in now for the next five years as we move from physical to digital currency. Um, it trades on 24 times earnings, right? So it could derate all the way down to 21 or 22 or even 18 times mm -hmm. earnings. But ultimately, the earnings growth will still happen, whether the trade war happens or not. Um, and if it gets solved, then the earnings growth will go faster. And so all we're trying to work out with these tech companies is how far they have to derate, uh, how far the multiple can come down, because the earnings growth is, is in many cases for the tech companies is somewhat assured. Mm -hmm. um, it may go slightly slower, but it's definitely going to grow. It's not going to go negative. Nick, um, so that's why we still like those companies. Yeah. Finally, mate, do you see a recession in 2019 or further out? 
Yeah, that's a good one. Um, and be right, look, I can't of course. Six weeks, six, six weeks ago, I would have said no. Um, the the they need to. This is this is entirely man-made. It's man-made by Donald Trump and Jerome Powell together. Um, they need to be able to walk it back, and they're trying to walk it back as we speak. But if they take too long to walk it back, yes, we will get a recession. Um, and you've seen this month already them trying to walk back what they've done because they know what they've done to confidence and they've done to growth. And if they can't get it back, they can't solve confidence in the next three to six months, then yes, you'll, you'll probably get a recession next year, or which is two quarters of a potential slow but negative growth. Um, if they manage to do it, then you get essentially a soft landing and you can extend the cycle for a long period of time. And so from our point of view, the reason why I said we've raised 50% cash is because we don't actually know the answer to that piece. Yeah. We don't know what's going to happen. Um, markets can't go up all the time. It's been two great years or three great years. Um, and so we're going to have this pause and the market's going to be very volatile for a while while we try to sort those two big issues out. Um, and, but those are the two issues I'd focus on because it is sapping confidence from the global economy as we speak right now. Mm. And the longer it goes on, the worse it's going to get. Nick, one final thing again is uh, if someone wants to invest in your fund, what's the minimum amount? Oh, the minimum for us is $25,000 and it's a daily price product. Um, and at some point, we'll, we'll put this cash back to work. And, and as I like to say to people, um, you know, sometimes you play cricket and you win. Sometimes you play cricket like, and like today and you lose with Australia. Uh, and, and, and sometimes it's just raining and you just have to recognise right now it is raining a bit. Um, and right now we're just going to sit on the sidelines for a little bit. But, but in the future, we will go back to doing what we've always done, which is finding great companies to invest in that grow their earnings over a long period of time. Nick, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Peter. Appreciate it. That's Nick Griffin, Head of Investments at Munro Partners. Coming up after the break, we'll be talking to David DeGarris. And now, a word from our sponsors. Have you got a home loan? Do you know what you're being charged? Check your rate, and if it's more than 3.89%, call us at Switzer Home Loans. Our rate for a variable home loan is 3.89%. That's right, 3.89% is all you'll pay. Interested? Call 1300 664 339 or Google Switzer Home Loans. Too many people spend money they earned to buy things they don't want to impress people that they don't like. So stick with Switzer and get rich. Where are my teeth? Uh, right now, we're talking to David DeGarris, Director of Economics Markets at NAB. Uh, David, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Peter. Uh, I've got my colleague, Paul Rickard, listening. So Paul will probably kick in and ask a few uh, astute uh, and tough questions as well. Thanks. Hi, Dave. Hi, hi, Paul. How are you? Good, thank you. All right, mate, let's kick off with um, some of the notes you pumped out this morning. And uh, one of them is um, jobs tipped to under... Pin prices. Um, well, it certainly was a story in the Australian. But where do you, where do you think the jobs market is going in Australia? And do you think there'll be some wage rises across 2019? Geez, that's a good question, Peter. Hmm. Uh, something that I think everyone, all the, all the, the people in my field are are uh, thinking about right now. Um, so if you just try and unpack it a little bit, I guess the two uh, competing sectors 
uh, for jobs, one on the uh, on the low side and one on the high side. On the low side, you've got what's coming is uh, what seems to be a, you know a reasonable downturn in dwelling construction activity over the next 12 to 18 months, from what we've seen from building approvals. I mean, we haven't seen it yet, but it's it's almost certain that it's going to arrive within you know within the next six to 12 months. And against that, the uh, the infrastructure boom that's going on, Peter. So, mm. that, and that's that's the positive side. So, um, I, I guess you know, what, what people try and sort of draw parallels with past cycles. So, we haven't seen those two, so two sectors intersect like they are this time. So, it's going to be touch and go as to whether uh, you know unemployment can stay where it is, or even go down a little bit, or you know, push a little bit higher. And, and you will see some volatility from time to time, but there's certainly a decent lick of uh, government infrastructure spending that's actually coming through. Okay, so let's just assume that mm. we keep getting some job creation, probably not as fast as we've been seeing. Mm. But let's go to the, the interesting, um, scary part of the Aussie economy, namely all these headlines are around a house price collapse. And I, yes. I, I noticed in the Fin Review today, the front page said threat to good times from the OECD. But you go to page four, I like mm. page four better, OECD <laughs> tips a soft landing for property. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's, what, that's what I um, saw in one of, the headline, one of the headlines in one of the press was about, uh, you know, OECD tips soft landing. And yet uh, a lot of it was about the warning of the, hand, the hard landing. Yeah. So... I, to say that prices are collapsing, I, I don't know what collapsing means to you, Peter, but um, I would have thought uh, extremely worrisome declines in prices that where a market where you know liquidity is completely absent and um, you know it's just it's just a one-way market. I I wouldn't want to be glib about you know the current environment, but the end of the day we're still seeing you know about you know 40 to 45 percent of auctions in Melbourne and Sydney that are clearing each weekend um, and and there's no doubt that the whole housing finance approval process is being drawn out but and prices of course had stellar rises for several years so it's sort of coming off those highs so the affordability point I think plays into that and lack of uh, you know foreign money coming into that Eastern seaboard markets as well. So the fact that prices are uh, cooling off, call it whatever you will, I, I think it's a sign that the market is still working and, and functioning. So uh, I, I think that's that's up in that way, it, it's sort of bringing prices back towards more affordable levels, whatever levels they might be. Mm. And so, David, a uh, bit of a tough one, but mm. how much further do you think this um, correction in the property market has to go? Uh, yeah, look, no one's going to ring the bell, Paul, so... Um, we want you about... to, David. No, I know you don't. You'd be a I star, know. and, you, and my, my... I'd talk about you in many media places. <laughs> he was so on the money. <laughs> well, you, you've seen, um, you've seen, you know, quite big big changes already, including in some of the other the other states. You know, it's, it's, it's only in the past, what, 10 years that I think it was one point when Perth had, you know, the highest property values of any you know major capital city and now they're amongst the lowest so thing, things do change my, my sense is the market still looks a little bit soft and we're sort of virtually at the end of the year now so looks like we're going to go into you know autumn next year with prices 
um, still pretty pretty soft until we work through this process. So I don't think it would surprise too many people if we saw at least another three, six, nine months of softness in, uh, in, in the first part of 2019. One of the bull points for the market has been the sort of almost sudden change in terms of the interest rate setting from, look, the next move is going to be up in Australia, perhaps not till the end of 2019. But mm. some of your colleagues at other houses are perhaps even suggesting an interest rate cut in 2019. Where well, do you stand on that, David? Well, I, I think the, um, the Reserve Bank is going to take a sort of whole of economy view to state the obvious. So... Uh, I don't think we're at that point yet. So if we were looking where the economy is completely being driven by housing, uh, there was nothing else happening, the business sector wasn't doing anything, I think there are some encouraging signs that business activity is still picking up as well as the infrastructure piece, not to mention the export story, Paul. Um, mm -hmm. So I think the, the economy is is doing okay, all things considered. It's probably going into 2019 in pretty good shape as you know the unemployment rate is lower than where we thought it was going to be a year ago so for the reserve bank to suddenly change in the next few months would be a big big change so i don't think we're at that point yet now if things do prove to be a lot weaker in the first half of next year then then obviously that's that's a different type of scenario but I don't think the Reserve Bank's at that point just yet. But like everyone watching to see the spillover effects in from soft house prices, whatever they may or may not be, and um, how you know dwelling construction activity and, and, of course, the rest of the economy performs next year. Mm. Well, in, in the, the vein of easy questions we've been asking you, David, yes. <laughs> um, yeah. let's talk about when you see the next recession likely for Australia. Because <laughs> you've got house prices falling, the stock market's falling, and yes. we saw today China demand, well, China's trade is coming off the boil. Yes, it did. Yeah. So... And, and throw in the international factors, you know, like the trade yes. war and all that sort of stuff. Yes. And I, and I know most economists pinpointed 2020 as a more likely time, but not necessarily a guaranteed time for a recession. Mm -hmm. are, are you more comfortable with 2020 than 2019? For what, a recession uh, for uh, Australia? A or recession uh, in the US first, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, the US is an interesting one. I think, you know, they've had... Um, a big sugar hit this year, haven't they, yep. from the fiscal stimulus, the tax cuts and so forth. So I think what you could say at least at this point is that we're going to see growth consolidating in 2020. Talking about a recession, I think, um, is, is, still a bit of, is still a stretch at this mm. point, Peter. So Good. I think I understand why the market's sort of worried about all the volatility, um, uh, worried about the... Um, trade tensions and so forth and how that may prove to play out. But I think the U.S. economy is in reasonable shape. But at the very least, Fed's going to be a lot more measured. So, you know, we're going to see much less of this sort of almost uh, autopilot approach to putting up rates every quarter to something where they're going to be much, much more sensitive to uh, the data points on unemployment and growth and the like. OK, just go home now, Australia. Mm. Do you think we've uh, got enough power in our sails or wind in our sails to avoid a recession next year? I think so. Um, 
think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of impetus still in the um, in the infrastructure space, in the export space, and even signs that business investment is recovering too, and the earnings side as well. So um, I know the, it, it's quite understandable that you know some commentators are it's sort of just totally focused on housing right now, but it seems the economy is in uh, in reasonable shape. Remember, we've been through particularly severe drought in the eastern seaboard. Yeah, so, weather permitting, uh, next year should be a better year for the even better year for the agriculture sector, particularly those parts of the ag sector that have been doing it tough in the past 12 months, if not longer. Mm. One last one. Um, mm. You guys look at um, business conditions and business confidence. Now, yep. business confidence has been going up and down, and we can see why. There's plenty of yep. reasons. But your business conditions reading have been basically near record highs. Yes. Is it a really good measure of what businesses are feeling about business right now? It's. It, we ask them to tell us about what businesses are, how they're actually performing, Peter, rather mm. than what they're perceiving to be. In other words, are their trading conditions, is their profitability going up, are they employing more people are putting people off so if it's above average it's saying that their actual activity levels are stronger than uh, than, than than the average has been and given that we've had average you know growth we haven't had a recession what since the early 1990s um, it's still very credible isn't it mm, so sure. despite that despite the talk of um, gloom and doom without a doubt David thanks for joining us on the program Good on you, Peter. Paul, nice to chat. Thanks, David. That's David Agaris, who is uh, a head of economics markets at, uh, director of economics markets at NAB. And uh, I think he's pretty well on the money as well, Paul. Yeah, look, I can't see the Reserve Bank cutting interest rates here in Australia. Mm. Um, look, I'm a bit surprised where the talks come from, Peter. Yeah. But uh, look, we'll see how that. Uh, plays out in 2019. I think if we saw a serious recession, a serious fall in house prices, maybe, but that's about all. Okay, time for a break. And now, a word from our sponsors. Have you got a home loan? Do you know what you're being charged? Check your rate, and if it's more than 3.89%, call us at Switzer Home Loans. Our rate for a variable home loan is 3.89%. That's right, 3.89% is all you'll pay. Interested? Call 1300 664 339 or Google Switzer Home Loans. Now, here's Switzy. Okay, so that uh, little point we always make at the end of our ad is that our headline rate is exactly the same as the comparison rate. If you don't know the difference, the difference is fees and extras and things like that. So always ask when you're going for a loan, what is the comparison rate? Now, Paul, before we go, I want to talk to you about the BHP buyback. Uh, a lot of people have been sending you questions, not sure whether they should go for it or not. Explain to some people what a buyback is. And secondly, why should people either accept or reject it? Yeah, this is part of BHP's capital return following the sale of its U.S. onshore oil assets, about uh, $10.4 billion U.S. Gee. And about $5.2 billion U.S. is coming back by an off-market share buyback. 
another $5.2 billion will come at the end via the payment of a special dividend. And the reason BHP does a, a share buyback, Peter, is it's able to buy back the shares at a price well below market through one of these and at the same time distribute excess or surplus franking credits. So it's really a, 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 a transaction that's attractive to some shareholders and not all. Yeah. But because BHP is able to buy the shares back below market price, everyone wins. Mm. And because they take shares off the market, does it tend to push the share price up? Yeah, it does, because they're actually going to cancel these shares. Mm. And so um, BHP's, uh, it has two has a shares listed both in Australia and the UK. But as a result, the... Um, it'll reduce its shares listed in Australia by about 7%. So mm. overall, 3 or 4%. Mm. It has will have an impact on their earnings per share, mm. and it's one of the reasons why BHP's share price has been fairly well supported the last few weeks. So even if you pinpoint some people who shouldn't participate in the buyback, they could win by the fact that their share price goes up. Well, that's one of the reasons they're doing it, Peter. Yep. Not, not, not necessarily to force the share price up, but because the there will be a few shares... Um, if they make the same amount of money, they're able to pay potentially a slightly higher dividend on a per-share basis. Okay. okay, so how does it work? Well, look, uh, it's, it's, it's a transaction that closes this Friday. So if you're going to accept, you have till 5 p.m. On, on Friday to make up your mind. Um, you'll tender for the shares uh, and have to nominate a discount between 10 and 14% most likely to go at the maximum discount of 14% because this is going to be super popular. And by and large, Peter, it works for any low-rate taxpayers and is unattractive to high-rate taxpayers. So if you're paying tax at a, the marginal rate of top rate of 47% with Medicare or the rate below it at 39%, don't even forget about it. Don't, sorry, don't, don't even it. think about the buyback. <laughs> right. Just throw the offer document in the bin or, or don't even bother to go Sounds online, aggressive, I say, right? Paul. But if you're a self-managed super fund in pension phase, you're a zero-rate or low-rate taxpayer, it's going to be a no-brainer to accept. And for most self-managed super funds in accumulation phase, it'll probably make sense. So um, you have to sort of look at the examples, but... Just to sort of quantify what what it's worth, Peter, mm -hmm. if you assume that it's going to go at the maximum discount of 14%, in other words, BHP will buy the shares back at 14% below the current market price, yep. it's effectively like for a self-managed super fund and pension, it's like selling the shares about $7.60 higher than if you sold them on market. So if you assumed at the moment BHP is trading around about $31, if you sell them into the buyback, your effective selling price is about $38.60. And that's because almost the whole return comes via a fully frank dividend. And, of course, that carries with the imputate, the franking credits, and you get back the cash refund. I think to a lot of normal people, they don't get it, but they do love the fact that you say, if you're in the low tax rate, it's a winner. If you're in the high tax rate, it ain't going to be a winner. Well, it's like any financial concept, Peter. You can explain it, but uh, yeah. that's that's very, that's quite complicated. Take. But look, look, I do get lots of questions. People want to get pour into the numbers, and mm. I, I think you know, it's not a straightforward decision 
for someone who's a super fund is an accumulation phase. Yeah, okay. Um, and again, you've got also got to think, you know, the most important thing is you're selling some shares. So it's going to change your allocation to BHP. Mm. When you get the money back, what are you going to do? Do you buy more BHP or not? Do you, do you buy the, those same shares back on market, in which case you've got a bit of a price risk in doing it? Yeah. Do you say BHP's had a good run, time to take some profits? Or do you say, look, this share market, I want to use the cash for something else? So there is still an investment decision. Um, now, I suppose the, the reason for talking about it today, we have to touch on this in previous podcasts, Peter, is it closes this Friday. So you've, December got, to, yeah, you've got to make your decision. The buyback result will be announced on next Monday before December the market uh, yeah. opens. And the, and the buyback price is being effectively calculated this week. So every day, BHP will calculate it a weighted average market price, mm. and that'll form the basis for the actual price that the discount is taken off okay. to work out the price. How do you accept? So you accept, you go, I've had a few questions about this because it's, it's actually harder than it looks oh. to actually find it, on, find it on BHP. No, just to find it on BHP's website. Okay. But you go to their website, and the address is not a very complicated address, mm. www.buyback.com. Dot com. <laughs> sorry, sorry, www.bhpbuyback.com. Okay. Got that wrong. That's better than the first time. Yeah, better than the first time. Yeah. Uh, and that'll give you, uh, you just accept it there. Again, another question I get is when you accept, you've got whole sorts of ways you can accept. You yeah. can actually nominate the tender discount. Oh, yeah, who can guess that right? Uh, for most parties, forget that, or most investors, I should say, forget that. Yeah. The easy way is to nominate final price. In yeah. other words, you let the market work it out and yeah. you take whatever the market says. Yeah, so she's the first box in yeah. the final price. And, and the last thing I'd say is, is it's likely to be um, pretty heavily scaled yeah. back. So it will go at the maximum discount of 14%. Hmm. Maybe the market, just being a bit soft, might pause a few people. But uh, BHP's held up pretty well over the last few weeks. In fact, it's up today in a down market. Mm. Good and effort. Um, I think that's partly the buyback effect. Uh, pro- providing support. Okay, mate, great. And if and if people want to read what you've said, they can go to switzerreport.com.au. Have you written on switzer? Yeah, no, switzerreport.com.au. Yeah, and they can take a 21 free day trial if they haven't already done that. Yep. Okay, great stuff. All right, Paul, thanks for joining us. That's the show for the day. Thanks for joining us. Quentin time! Quentin time! <laughs>